It is midsummer and the ground is dry. Dust is being kicked up by a steady wind. Patchy shrubs stretch off in every direction, reaching as far as the mountains on the horizon. An immense sky spreads out over the step below and hooves sound in the distance, followed by a cart. It's a pony train bringing supplies to a nearby camp. Men are working over two lines of iron, stretching away into the distance. The year is 1868, and the Union Pacific Railroad has just reached the newly incorporated territory of Wyoming. And that might have been that for this endless land of dwarf sagebrush. But located at the southern portion of the state, the railroad company had discovered enormous deposits of coal with seams 30 feet or 10 metres thick. The industrial history of the aptly named Carbon County, Wyoming, had begun. Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Jane Sophia. For this episode, we've partnered with Briarly Associates to look at one particular town in Carbon County, the town of Hannah and some vital engineering work currently underway to protect it. At its peak, Hannah produced 40% of the total coal in Wyoming and was essential for the development of the US industrial machine. Given its population, which even at peak was just over 2,000, the town has a pretty good claim to have contributed among the most per capita to the industrial world. But now, with local coal mines no longer in operation, it faces another great test. The town has been left with a legacy that it will be working to contain for decades to come. But in this, it's not alone. It's one of many locations that are the focus of a federally funded programme to mitigate long-term geotechnical problems. Problems related to abandoned mine lands. My name is Don Newton. I'm the administrator of the Abandoned Mine Land Division of the Department of Environmental Quality in Wyoming. Wyoming's AML division is responsible for going around the state and developing an inventory of ground damaged by coal mining activities, by contracting geotechnical experts to assess the ground and then, if necessary, carry out mitigation works. Which usually involves void filling and stabilisation. This work is primarily funded by present-day coal mining, the law that actually collects money from current coal production, we call SMACRA, it's the Surface Mining Control and Reclamation Act, 1977. Essentially, a 28 cents per ton fee on current coal production. And then that money goes to the federal government and then the states that have AML programs uh, get 50% of that back. And that's what we use to run our program. So that's been happening since uh, the late 70s. Wyoming, which currently produces 43% of the coal in the US, has always had a well-funded AML program. But other regions with large historical mining, but less in the present, did not have these resources. But the bipartisan infrastructure law that just passed on November the 15th, it reauthorized SMACRA for another 13 years with a fee reduction from 28 cents per tonne on surface coal to 22.4 cents a tonne. A 20% reduction on the coal fee, but with one critical difference. 
Now there's also direct funding from the US Treasury which is not tied to coal production. It's available to AML programs anywhere. Which means that a lot of new regions are going to have the resources to undertake work that's been needed for a long time, but never funded. So there are lessons to be learned. And all eyes are on the town of Hanna, Wyoming. Some of the problems vary from state to state. We don't necessarily have as big a problems as some of the other states like Pennsylvania and West Virginia. Wyoming has low sulfur coal, where Pennsylvania has much higher sulfur coal. When groundwater moves through historic coal mines with a high sulfur content, then emerges into local streams, it creates what is called acid mine drainage. And that is a huge problem for the surface waters in Pennsylvania. We're fortunate in Wyoming that we don't have very much sulfur in our coal, so we don't really have any um, acid mine drainage impacts. Pennsylvania is also a state that has enormous historical mining, but less in the present. In any case, the problems faced by Wyoming are typically related to subsidence. Where the underground mines collapse, and then that collapse works its way up to the surface, and causes damage to homes and businesses and infrastructure like roads and bridges. The AML division has its inventory of sites that includes old gold mines, 11,000 feet or 3,300 meters above the tree line, and it has large voids under critical infrastructure in towns. Prioritizing the sites is done based on risk to people and property. Some of the remote sites are still dangerous if they're in popular leisure spots. Our primary purview is to reduce the risk to human health. So that's our first uh, and highest priority. The first step in a new round of study is to call in a specialist consultant. In this case, the geotechnical consultant and tunnel engineering company Briarly Associates. Dave Hibbard is the subsidence mitigation team leader at Briarly, and he leads the work on site at Hanna. I'm a non-traditional student who once uh, pursued a career in international business, mostly on the hardware and software technology side. It was that at that point, I realized I didn't want to sit at the desk anymore and uh, decided uh, to start pursuing some geological sciences, um, which also allowed me the opportunity to be out in the field away from any standard desk job I was accustomed to at the point that point in time. After college, I uh, worked in helium exploration, oil and gas, uh, dabbled in some GIS mapping and uh, geodatabase creation. I mean, also started doing some consulting engineering for uh, a local civil engineering firm. At this point, he wanted to pursue a career in geohazards and joined the 30-strong team working on the Wyoming Abandoned Minelands projects. Mining took place all over Wyoming and the geology varies enormously. With the ancestral Rockies that exist throughout a lot of the, the Wyoming area, obviously it added to a lot of structure, a lot of geologic structure in place, which adds to a lot of the dynamic uh, challenges that we see, you know, with, with a lot of the mines that we investigate with any type of faulting or bedding dips, strike planes and stuff of that nature. These are different types of split or orientations of the geology in a particular place. So the, the geology is very unique and challenging just because there are so many structural components that exist that, that have happened over the course of time, geologic time. The geology beneath the town of Hanna is... For subsidence to occur, generally what's required is uh, destabilization of the overburdened rock. 
So this could equate to historic underground mining, uh, dissolution of limestone and carbonates, excessive groundwater extraction within an aquifer. In Hannah's case, historic coal mining is the primary mechanism. So the risks found from these events have led to infrastructure failure of public roads, highways, homes, uh, utility corridors, and public open space. I mean, this is caused essentially by a failure of competent rock that manifests itself up through the surface and uh, reconsolidates and settles eventually over time. In other words, if there's no rock underneath that was once holding up the surface, eventually that will fail. And that'll propagate upwards, essentially leading to a uh, sinkhole event. This can be very difficult to predict. One of the primary means of prediction is just how far below the surface these conditions exist. Generally what we find is are, you know, as you would expect, the shallower conditions for underground mining are generally the first to fail, uh, just because there's not a lot of rock to effectively bridge that material. And generally it propagates relatively quickly to the, the surface. So generally those areas are, are usually the quickest to fail. If we're investigating an area, we, we generally have a uh, threshold for depth of mine workings that we look at uh, to determine whether or not the risk level is either high or low. And in Hannah, everything is in place to require a lot of mitigation work. So Hannah's always been known as a, a very large mining town and at one point was one of the largest mines in, in the U.S. for a short period of time. So obviously quite a bit of mining has taken place. I, I want to say 13 million tons of coal was once extracted. The thickness of its coal seams is what made Hannah unique. So obviously they had, a, a, had all the, the, the full recipe more or less for uh, subsidence to occur essentially. Abandoned mine, you know, over 100 years old. Uh, lots of coal being extracted. And uh, most of the, uh, the coal extracted was, was from a relatively shallow depth. And, uh, and also, you know, the, the development of an entire town above that mine effectively. So all those things more or less uh, necessitated the need for further investigation and really fit in well with AML's uh, scope. The AML division tasked Briley with an investigation of South Central Wyoming, with the town of Hannah as one of the primary focus locations. Initially, there was a lot of data sleuthing of mining history, geology, um, prior mitigation, and current infrastructure development. This also included a digitization of historic mine maps, researching historic subsidence events, and ground truthing, or verifying information against real world conditions. <laughs> During a first investigation, we requested to investigate several depressions on uh, the Hannah Elementary School football field. These initial investigations led to a drilling and geophysical program uh, where additional research was collected to understand uh, some of the engineering qualities of the ground supporting the infrastructure above it. And once they started receiving some of the lab data back, they realized that they were dealing with a lot of shallow, weak rock supporting a lot of the town's public infrastructure. So lots of shallow mine workings and, and very uh, lots of critical public infrastructure that existed. So after we put together all the, uh, the data, um, it was clear to us that, that this was a high risk area that affected a lot of the local residents at the time. We've linked to a case study focusing on the drilling and grouting required to support the Hannah Elementary School football field. Just check the show notes. 
At the end of the investigation, Briley had to put together a report of investigation. Which consists of all the drilling data that we collected, uh, consists of uh, some geophysics uh, that, were, that was conducted. We do a lot of remote sensing as part of our investigation to really get a, a visualization on the ground. These days, this can be done from the air via drone, and a lot of work at HANA has been characterized by the use of modern technology. So lots of orthomosaic mapping uh, that'll go onto this report, as well as any type of LIDAR to provide any baseline conditions if you wanted to do any uh, change detection in the future uh, to possibly catch some of the uh, deformation existing on the surface, as well as a lot of laboratory data. So we do a lot of uh, lab analysis with respect to the engineering qualities of the rock and uh, what they could tell us as far as the rate of propagation uh, within the mine. And once once we kind of put all that information together, we have a, uh, a recommendation portion of the report that we uh, we provide to AML, and uh, we'll either put it in a we'll put it in a risk category, essentially uh, being either low or high risk. And for Hannah, the risk category given was very high due to the sheer extent of the mine works and this shallow depth. And Dave says when dealing with underground hazards, it is essential to make use of all the technology available to you. So the biggest thing, I mean, you know, for for those who are involved in this type of uh, reclamation and or uh, geohazard investigation or research, a, a lot of this stuff you can't see, you know, it exists underground, but you can't see it. So you use other technological advances more or less to, to help you get a gauge on what you're dealing with. With Hannah in particular, not only were you dealing with uh, just open void space, but you're also dealing with a lot of open void space. So 40 feet thick, you know, with, with 30 by uh, 25 foot rooms, very, very big mine. And, uh, and, and it was also flooded, or it is currently flooded at the time. So obviously you're dealing with a huge groundwater component, which is effectively acting as a, a, a reservoir um, underground and uh, with the right topographic conditions, you could develop artesian conditions in addition to uh, just having an open, uh, shallow mine void. Artesian conditions mean the water will emerge at the surface without the need for pumping. Groundwater, in connection with large, shallow mine workings, is a problem, and is something that must be dealt with in design, because it's beyond what normal mitigation can deal with. If uncontrolled, the results following a poorly planned mitigation programme can be... dramatic? But we will get to controlling for that in a minute. To stabilise the surface, it's necessary to fill these voids left behind by mineworks. But filling in every void in Wyoming, or even in Hannah, would be prohibitive. So yeah, the, the town is, um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty large area with respect to, to total acres. Um, if you want to look at it uh, from that perspective, you know, you're probably looking at close to 2,000 acres, more or less, that have been undermined uh, within the town. So the team had to refine the mitigation area based on the risk to people and infrastructure. Now, this is a fairly costly endeavor to the state in itself and the, the federal AML program is uh, we, we generally have target areas which consist of, of maybe ranging between five to 15 acres at a time. And, uh, you know, generally we, we target the areas from shallowest to, to deepest effectively in that order. And, uh, and start off with a, uh, a mitigation approach that, that kind of goes down basically from the high risk to the low risk uh, areas effectively, which is generally uh, from shallower to deeper if you want to look at it that way. As for techniques, mitigation for subsidence has been going on since the 1980s. 
generally what we do is uh depending on if it's a underground room and pillar uh mine type type uh setup or uh mine overall generally uh the, the means of mitigation is is through backfilling typically now with a cementitious grout i mean backfilling is is pretty difficult to do because uh, it consists of uh, drilling and, and injection of, of a backfill material. So when you're, when you're drilling for, for mine workings, it, you got to plan out a series of boreholes that, that, that more or less align with, with the mine maps that exist and within the mine extent, essentially. And uh, once you find those mine workings, uh, effectively targeting um, a, a pre-engineered grout that's, that's more or less designed for uh, for the downhole conditions that exist within that mine is generally what takes place. Back in the 80s, there was a historic mitigation that was conducted in Hannah. And back then, you know, the the, the study of and, and research of, of mitigation for room and pillar mining was was relatively, uh, in a lot of ways, misunderstood uh, as far as the design approach or the mitigation approach. Anyhow, what what they did historically in the town of Hannah is they utilized a uh, backfill method called sand slurry where they injected a high-velocity sand and water into the mine. Unfortunately, that mixture was not cementitious, so it didn't bind together, which causes problems today. So uh, much of that sand slurry that was once injected at the time is, is roughly we're finding about 50% of that uh, in existence right now, or it has uh, relocated through just groundwater transport to, to other locations outside of uh, any type of public infrastructure. So trying to, to stabilize that stuff once we encounter it within the town through our, our mitigation program has been a real challenge uh, just through, through stabilization alone of that material. Even with modern technology and methods, there are risks to be aware of when preparing a mitigation strategy. Yeah, so a lot of the risk of what we deal with, you know, we're, we're injecting grout generally under pressure. We inject it under pressure just because we want uh, a lateral spread um, underneath the ground and within the mine. That way we could influence more of a mitigation area down hole than we are from the surface. Essentially, it might be possible to cover a 500 foot or 150 meter radius area from one hole injecting under pressure, depending on where they are in the mine. With injecting grout underneath pressure, um, there, there's obviously the, the the ability or the the possibility of uh, of doing a lot of uh, deformation to the ground. Um, a lot of ground movement can occur uh, if you're not careful. So we have uh, specifications, more or less, uh, for for pressure criteria that that we utilize uh, to to prevent that. However, with everything as dynamic as it is, um, pressure criteria are uh, could, could spike up relatively high where you could generate negative pressures in some cases, but ground deformation and ground movement at the surface is, is a very high risk uh, with what we do uh, just through the existing infrastructure that we're currently mitigating on the surface. In trying to support the surface infrastructure, a poor plan or inexperienced team could wreck it. Then there's that artesian water issue we mentioned. The other big risk factor that we have doing what we do is the existence of water, groundwater, and its ability to uh, discharge that uh, through a, a conduit, a fault, or, or something, uh, or, or another borehole, effectively, uh, to the surface. And uh, we're talking a lot of groundwater that could be millions of gallons of water that we could displace to the surface. So basically, uh, controlling the groundwater and not necessarily a one-to-one, -one, you know, one cubic yard of grout injected, one. Uh, cubic yard of uh, water, more or less, uh, displaced to the surface. Um, 
we uh, we just really try to control the water more or less to prevent um, an excessive amount of water uh, to, to be displaced to the surface. And if it is displaced, then we try to find uh, a means of, of groundwater surface transport more or less to, to be contained within an area where it's safe for, for the public and uh, has the, the tendency to, to repercolate through the ground effectively. This is why it's important to be prepared for these events. In the case of groundwater, there are a number of ways of controlling it. For example... We have uh, discharge wells that we, uh, that we started utilising. This has been a huge, uh, huge component for us because we're able to effectively control the amount of, of water that we're discharging uh, to the surface in a controlled manner versus a, a very erratic manner. So groundwater, you know, will have a tendency, if you're not careful, to, to pop up generally in an area where you don't want it. With, uh, with the discharge well system, you're able to control the, uh, the location of where you want this water to be discharged. And you're also able to can, uh, monitor the, uh, the pressures that develops underneath that, that, that discharge well that you find, or find and create rather. And uh, you're able to, to relieve that pressure in a controlled manner to, to prevent the buildup in pressure underground and also to, uh, to also ensure that you're not completely uh, dewatering the mine thus destabilizing the mine by uh, potentially inducing any type of subsidence behavior on the surface. Dave says that working in HANA has been a very dynamic process. Between the, uh, the existing mitigation attempts with, with old technology to the artesian conditions to the existing infrastructure and uh, public housing and subdevelopments that exist there. Um, we're dealing with a lot of variability uh, downhole uh, within the mine itself and uh, lots of adaptations are part of what we do. So generally doing a lot of the engineering, um, uh, we, we do a lot of field engineering essentially depending on, on what the cause and effect is from, from mitigation. So it requires us to be uh, very adapt, adaptable to what we're doing and making sure that we're consistent, you know, trying to uh, understand as many of the variables as possible uh, before we go into a mitigation approach. And if he met another subsidence mitigation team leader in a bar, what would he tell them about the job? Um, I'd say that, that the quality of data is, is certainly a, uh, a big factor in what we do. And the quality of data is, is only as good as the, uh, the initial data collected. Making sure that, that you know, that you have uh, the geo databases you have, that the file hierarchy structures, making sure that you have all the individual components more or less uh, vetted for, for quality assurance is, is a huge deal in what we do. And uh, it takes a lot of time to, to ensure that, that the preservation of that data is, is intact uh, before we make recommendations. So that's probably one of the biggest, uh, the biggest factors, um, I'd say, that goes into what we do. And, and one of the biggest forms of caution uh, that, that anybody in my, in my position more or less would be, would be faced with, uh, with the amount of data that we collect, which is very enormous. A big part of what has made the work here a success is the Wyoming Abandoned Minelands Division's desire to do each job properly and not cut corners. This is partly down to experience and partly to resourcing. One of the benefits that we have is we're well-funded, and that allows you some flexibility into you know, looking at new techniques, uh, trying new techniques. We've got great 
engineering firms we work with, obviously Briarly being one of them, uh, but we work with a lot of engineering firms that, you know, are willing to kind of push the envelope on trying new things. Sometimes you fail, sometimes you succeed. I really think that Wyoming AML doesn't rest on our you know, laurels of what we've done in the past is the right way to do it. So we're always looking for uh, to learn from our neighbor, partner, our sister AML programs around the country because they're doing amazing things as well. Wyoming has always taken the view that it should embrace new techniques and technologies because when you are involved in AML work, there is a long time for this approach to pay off. Some of our smaller sites that I was describing, like maybe a small gold mine or a copper mine, things like that, we could feel pretty confident that we've gotten most of them. We'll never get all of them because we'll never find all of them. But the subsidence work that we do is probably going to go on forever. I mean, you can, you can mitigate a lot of the subsidence issues in a community. If the primary concern is to protect human health, infrastructure, people's houses, you can do most of that and feel confident with it. But we'll never do the entire mine in any city like Rock Springs or Hannah. There's just too much. So those surface subsidence features will, will propagate to the surface and they will be happening in perpetuity. But Don says it's not just new technology that delivers success. It's also down to the help from the towns themselves. Normally on a project, engagement is about mollifying unhappy residents. But in Hannah and elsewhere in Wyoming, local people have been critical to the projects. You know, some of the best information we get about our sites is from local residents uh, that tell us, well, did you know about this hole over here or this they show us a crack in a foundation or something like that. So the local residents are key in not just keeping them happy about the work we do, but having them informed about why we're doing the work and uh, why we continue to do the work. Outside of the areas where abandoned mine land work is necessary, most people have not heard of these divisions. And in recent years, Don and the other abandoned mine land leaders have been trying to get the word out about the good work they do. Restoring wildlife habitats, repairing open pits, putting land back into use for productive grazing. Raising awareness has been essential for getting the funding renewed and for getting money not linked to current mining production. Interested listeners should check out their website, ourworksnotdone.org, which we've linked in the show notes. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and produced by me, Alex Conacher. My co-host was Jane Sophia. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. And our chief geologist is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our episode partner, Briley Associates. And thanks also to the AML division of the Wyoming Department of Environmental Quality. And thank you for listening. You can find Engineering Matters on all podcast apps, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn. And don't forget to check out our website and sign up to our newsletter for the latest engineering announcements and developments from around the world.